I remember correctly, the Messiah was actually written for an Easter celebration. And certainly that emphasis on the hallelujah is uh, so appropriate as we gather. I would like to uh, look to uh, the end of the story for the Gospel of John. We're in the Gospel of John together, and eventually we'll come back here to chapter 21, eventually. Uh, It's going to take us a while to get there, and you'll have forgotten the sermon by the time we arrive. But I invite you to find your way to the Gospel of John, chapter 21. This morning, together, we'll be considering the first 19 verses. And this is looking to the time after the crucifixion of Christ and after the resurrection of Christ. When John's final record of a, a meeting with the risen Lord in this gospel. I'm going to read verses 1 to 8, and we'll go through them section by section. We'll be looking at verses 1 to 19, but for now, verses 1 to 8. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way, he showed himself. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. When the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, children, have you any food? They answered, no. And he said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, about 200 cubits, dragging the net with fish. This is a fascinating encounter with the risen Lord, and we want to look at this together. But let's, let's think through what has been happening already. On Friday, Christ died on the cross. And before sundown, his body was removed and taken and placed in a borrowed grave. On Sunday, he left that borrowed tomb in Jerusalem, victorious over the grave. He met with women who came to the tomb after they had encountered an angel. He made them the first witnesses. And he sent them to bring word to the others. And so the first witnesses of the resurrected Christ to actually see him risen were these women. And that's one of the evidences, by the way, of the gospel being so accurate. Back when when these books were written, the last thing you'd want to have is your prime witnesses to be women. They often couldn't even count in court. The Gospels record that women were witnesses because women were the witnesses. And so they had the blessed privilege. And because they were going there to honor the buried Christ, they met the risen Lord. Then the Lord met with two disciples who had left Jerusalem in despair. Remember on the road to Emmaus, their their conversation together and, and just their... You can just imagine, what do we do now? We were so sure where, how it was going. 
And, and there they were as they walked along talking. And remember, you know, in those days, it was not uncommon. You're walking along the road. This is before, you know, earbuds and <laughs> phones. And, and so you would actually talk to people on the road. And Jesus came along and said, so what's this you're talking about? I love that. And you could just see their, their mouths open and just went, are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard these things? And they explained what had happened. And, and of course, Jesus knew. But then they, the Lord started talking to them. Don't you, didn't you understand from the scriptures? And again, they didn't recognize him. He, he, he withheld his identity. They looked at him but didn't see who he was. And so he walked them through, you know, through, starting with Moses and through the prophets. He showed the Messiah had to suffer. That's part of the plan. And so often we wish, had we only had the opportunity to be on that walk and to hear that exposition. They even said afterwards, didn't our hearts burn within us as he unfolded the scriptures for us? Then they went, they stopped and had a meal together. And remember, in the breaking of the bread, they, they, knew, they saw it was Jesus and he was gone. He's risen. He is risen. And with that, instead of stopping for the night, they turned around and, and made a fast trip back to Jerusalem. They went back to the upper room where the other disciples were gathered. And as they came in, they, they found others were reporting. And, and the others, the, the disciples as a whole were saying, well, these women are, are telling us they, they saw... You know, Jesus risen, well, you know, they're kind of overreacting. And then the two from Emmaus said, we saw him, and they told their story. And as all this is going on, and you could just imagine, in one sense, almost not wanting to, to really believe it because we've been through so much disappointment. Do we, do we listen to these disciples, the, the women, and then Jesus entered the room. And since Jerusalem's in the southern part of Israel, he said, Shalom, y'all. <laughs> and, and they were at first, you know, is this a vision? Is it a ghost? And, you know, here, touch, feel. Let me have something to eat. And they handed him something to eat. And I always imagine the disciples kind of looking to see if it fell through. <laughs> but he was risen. He was risen indeed. And they had some time together, and he left. Thomas called Didymus in our, uh, you know, twin in, in, in our account. Well, we don't call him that, do we? We call him Doubting Thomas. And he came, and, and, and I don't care. You know, here, here were all these, all these disciples and the women and others said, we've seen the risen Christ. And he said, I'm not going to believe it unless I can see the wounds and touch well, the next Lord's Day as they're gathered in that same room, the Lord appears among them. Thomas, come here. And poor Thomas melted in tears to his knees and worshiped the Lord in, in glory. My Lord and my God. Well, after these encounters, the next thing that John reports for us is this time in Galilee. He calls it the Sea of Tiberias. That's, we call it the Sea of, of Galilee. Um, in Hebrew, it's called the, the, the Sea of the, of the Harp. Because if you look on the map, the, the Sea of Galilee looks kind of like an ancient harp. 
And so, but, but this, sometimes they called it the Sea of Tiberias because that was the largest town over there on the West Coast. And we're told that Peter uh, decided to go fishing. There's been a lot of discussion about several of the things that happened in this passage. And one of them is, what about this Peter saying, I'm going fishing? Was, and, and, and over the centuries, people have gone back and forth. Was this somehow a sin on Peter's part? He was called to preach the gospel. What's he doing going fishing? Um, is this a sign of his loss of hope, his despair? After, after the cross and after all that happened, I'm going fishing. Was he putting worldly matters before the Lord? Fishing? That's all you have time for is fishing? I don't think that there's anything unusual or wrong in what he was doing. The Lord said, go to Galilee and wait. Now, what was he supposed to do while he was in Galilee waiting? He was a fisherman by trade, and he was waiting for the Lord. The Lord had told them, warned them, if you will, instructed them that things were going to be different. He was no longer going to protect them or provide for them as he had. Back in, in, in Luke 22, uh, 35 and 36, this is what Jesus said. He said to them, when I sent you without, when I sent you, he, he, he described it when he previously sent them. When I sent you without money bag, knapsack, sandals, did you lack anything? They said nothing. Then he said to them, but now he who has a money bag, let him take it. Likewise, also a knapsack. He who has no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. So he's saying, times are changing. I was with you. The Messiah, the Lord of glory, made sure that you did not hunger, did not lack, were not, were not accosted. Things are different now. You're going to need to bring along money. You're going to bring along food. You're going to bring along protection. You're going out. And so in this new environment... Uh, it's not unusual that Peter might expect, I've got to provide for my family and others. Let's go fishing and, and we'll, we'll at least get food and we can, you know, fill up some coffers at home. And notice too, that, you know, some, so often people, people look at Peter and say, well, Peter was in despair. Well, the other six were with him. There were seven in that boat. And they had all seen and touched and heard the risen Savior. They were just trying to be diligent in their waiting. And while they're waiting for the Lord's next assignment, they provided for themselves and their family. And as you read ahead, the abundance of their, their harvest uh, was evidence that the Lord wanted to bless their labors. And of course, the miracle of the fish reminded them of their previous experience. Remember back in Luke chapter 5, verses 4 to 7. When Jesus had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered and said to him, this is when he's just getting to meet, you know, know Jesus. Master, we've toiled all night and caught nothing. They, they fished at night. That was easier for the fishing at that time. We've toiled all night, caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I'll show you. <laughs> but I'll, I'll do it one more time. And when they'd done this, they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled, before, filled b- both the boats. And they began to sink. I mean, talk about an 
uh, incredible, unbelievable, unparalleled uh, harvest of fishing. And so, as Jesus, as this one called out from the shore, did you catch anything? And in, in, in the Greek, it's, you haven't caught anything, have you? No. Put down your net on the right side of the boat. And, and instantly, instantly, they nearly lost the net as, as it was overloaded. And, and, and it was so, these seven strong men could not haul the catch in. The Lord was confirming his presence with power. John was first to recognize, you know, the others were all worried about, we're going to sink, look at this catch, all the other things that they're going through their minds, they're right instant in the moment. But John, as, he's, as they're hauling in, he's thinking, we've been here before. And, 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 and he spoke out, maybe to himself and to others, and said, it's the Lord. John often, you know, kind of caught things before. Remember when they ran into the open tomb? There were the clothes, grave clothes flowed, folded. Uh, grave robbers would have, would, wouldn't have bothered with that sort of thing. John came in and says, and he believed. Peter despaired. John seemed to catch things first. But that didn't stop Peter from acting first. And as soon as John announces it's the Lord, he, he knows that's right. And it says he threw on his outer garment. Uh, you, know, they, you know how it is when you're maybe doing some, some work and it's going to be warm and you're going to be, you, know, you don't need a coat on. Uh, or maybe you start with a coat and then take it off. But, but now that he knew, realized it was Jesus, uh, you know, if someone comes by your house and you've been working in the yard, maybe you're just in your T-shirt, you throw on your shirt before you greet them. Well, please do that for me if, you, if I'm coming by. But, you know, so that was, it was just a natural thing you threw on, but then it seems like rather odd. Normally, don't you take off a heavy garment before you jump in the water? This is Peter. So, so he jumps in and dressed for the occasion. Verses 9 to 14 tell us then what happened. As soon as they'd come to land, they, they saw fire of coals there and fish laid on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and, and dragged the net to the land full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. There's another miracle. And Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them. And likewise, the fish. This is now the third time Jesus showed himself to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Quite a miracle. We're told that instantly the net was filled up with 153 fish. Why 153? Um, over the centuries, this is rather humorous to me, commentators have all kinds of suggestions why it's 153. I won't take you through the math, but some think it proves the Trinity. Uh, some will notice that if you add up the numbers from 1 to 17, it equals 153. And, and all kinds of other things have been pointed out about the significance of it. I have my own theory as to why it was 153. Because that's how many fish were in the net. 153. 
why, and notice large fish. You'll see later on when he says there's fish on the fire, he uses the word meaning small fish. But they were large fish. I mean, these, these are the fish you would take to market and make good money. 153 large fish. And remember, the net didn't break. That was another interesting one. Um, and I, and, and you know, imagine you go out onto Lake Tawakani and you're looking to hope maybe catch a small fish or something, a small trout, and you, you, know, you drop your line and... And, you know, it's kind of thin. You know, it's not a heavy line. And all of a sudden, yank. You know, when I've gone fishing and that happens, it means I've caught some tree on the bottom of the, you know, but, but it's yanked and it's moving. And, and all of a sudden, your, your pole's bending and, and this big fight. And you pull in a 100-pound tuna. Now, I did say Tawakini. That's, this would be unexpected. One, your line would break, your pole would break, and there aren't any tuna that I know of in Tawakini. That's how unusual this thing, that this, this net just should not have held that. And yet they, they were able to, they couldn't never did get it in the boat. They just had to tow it behind the boat, bring it to shore. 153 large fish. Why? One more miracle of the Lord providing and the disciples learning. And surely they thought back, this counting 153 fish. One, they're thinking, how much are we going to do? We've got to sell these things. Maybe they're going to divide it up between their families. But surely they thought back to the time earlier in this book, in John chapter 6, 13, when the Lord fed 5,000 men and their families. After they had taken the fish and loaves and multiplied them, verse 13 of chapter 6 says, Therefore they gathered up the leftovers and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. See, so notice the, why count up the 12? Well, for one thing, that just shows you they were there. But also, that just shows you that this is something worth noting. And so when they, they count up the 153, and, and John was there when this happened. And, and, and that's just to their amazement. What an incredible catch after a night of not a minnow to be found. In verse 12, Jesus said to them, come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you, knowing it was the Lord? That's rather an odd statement, isn't it? They've been with him for three years, and they're sitting down at a, to, to eat, and no one's saying, well, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. What this is saying to me is they, he, this is like what happened on the road to Emmaus or to Mary Magdalene. He, he veiled his appearance, so they just saw it was some fella. And I don't know that that required that it was a misty morning on the on the beach or the smoke was in, in their eyes. It was just the Lord was failing to, to challenge their faith. But it says no one asked, you know, who are you? Because they knew who it was. And he was showing them, I think, that the Lord will be seen in his blessings and in his works in their lives. They don't have to see him and, and say, that's Jesus. They can see in what he's doing in their lives. He was teaching his disciples to, to look for Jesus even when they don't see him. And maybe that's something we need to learn to do more, to recognize God's blessing in our lives and say, well, there's the Lord doing that. We prayed, and here it is. We prayed, and God answered. We had a need, and God met that need. Uh, God brings a blessing and recognizes that's the Lord with us, even if we don't see clearly with our eyes. 
said the Lord had a meal of, of fish and bread waiting on the fire. I've wondered, is this the origin of fish and chips? Um, they weren't deep fried, but there it was, a healthy meal. And, and when we're told the Lord was, uh, again, don't you get this it's so clearly? John is the eyewitness of this, isn't he? Uh, it's, 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 embra- it's, it's you know, just engraved in his mind. The fish, Peter, jumping and swimming with his coat on into the water. And there on, on the coals, the, the fish and the bread. He was cooking a morning meal and providing food and warmth on the fire. We're told it was a charcoal fire. Uh, think through how often you see charcoal in the Bible. Or embers is, is another way you could you rec- say that. Really, there's only two charcoal fires in all the New Testament, both in the Gospel of John. Maybe we should look at that previous account in chapter 18. Right after the Garden of Gethsemane, they lead Jesus away. Oh, starting at verse uh, 13. And they led him away to Annas first, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. Now it was Caiaphas who advised the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple, that would be John. Now that disciple was known to the high priest and went with Jesus into the courtyard of the high priest. But Peter stood at the door outside. Then the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to her who kept the door and brought Peter in. Then the servant girl who kept the door said to Peter, You are not also one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers who made a fire of coals stood there, for it was cold, and they warmed themselves, and Peter stood with them and warmed himself. The high priest then asked Jesus about his disciples and his doctrine, and and Jesus said, I I spoke openly to the world. I'm always taught in the synagogues. But we see in this passage, there by the coals, Peter denied his Lord three times. In the warmth of the fire, he stood by as they were trying Jesus, and he denied him. And this, here, this, this, this morning on the beach of Galilee, I think Peter was not warmed by this fire of charcoal. He was chilled by it. As the others were gathered around by warmth, I wonder if he was even reluctant to stand close to the fire as he remembered that night, weeks earlier. Bitter memories rising in his heart like the smoke was rising in the, in the, in the dark. Verses 15 to 19 finish this encounter. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. 
He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said, follow me. Three times the Lord asked Jesus, asked Peter about his love. Three times there by the fire, three questions like the other charcoal fire. I wonder if Peter shivered. I wonder if he cried. The Lord was intentionally bringing him back to that first fire and the three questions that he got wrong. Verse 15 tells us, uh, Simon, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I do. Let me just bring some observations uh, in our passage. First of all, some of you are, some of you are looking on and, and a little confused. I'm reading Simon, son of Jonah, and you're reading Simon, son of John. Um, this is one of those things where there's different, some early, early Greek manuscripts have a difference of reading. Not a problem. We know who he's talking to. And so, but that's, that's where that's coming from. Also, some other things to notice. If you were following carefully, how does Jesus address him? Simon, son of Jonah. In this passage, Jesus does not call him Peter. Remember, Jesus gave him that name. He said, your name is Simon. I will now call you Cephas, which is the Aramaic or in Greek, Petros, I'm going to call you um, Rocky. You're going to be a rock. Why doesn't he call him Rocky here at the beach? He hasn't been a rock. And so he's not uh, going to call him that name right now. But Peter, if you notice, I mean, John keeps calling him Simon Peter, Simon Peter, Simon Peter. But the Lord doesn't call him that once in this text. So Peter, I think John's setting it up. Notice something is missing in how Jesus is speaking to him. That's not a mistake. The one he nicknamed, he's not calling him by the nickname. This is a formal encounter and he hasn't been such a rock. You'll also know, and maybe you've heard this, there are different words for love going on in this passage. Um, in, the, in the New Testament, there are th- Three or four different words that are used. Uh, two of the most familiar are agape and phileo. Agape is is God's um, is is used of God's love for us, and most of the time it's described as God's agape love. It means an unconditional, committed love. Phileo, you know, you think of uh, well when you when I hear it say phileo, you're probably thinking of filleting fish, and that has nothing to do with our context. But think of uh, Philadelphia. 
the place of brotherly love. Adelphos means brother. Um, phileo has the idea more of affection, friendship. It's a love, but not as, not as absolute and, and committed and unconditional as the other. But it's a warm affection. And so uh, and Jesus will use agape, committed love, unconditional love, in the first two questions. Peter, do you agape me? All three times, Peter answers, I phileo you. I have affection for you. But he's not willing to use the word agape. I have committed love for you. Unconditional love for you. Because he's still stinging from how he has failed him. Committed love? A servant girl by a fire made me too afraid to say I was your friend. But I do have, Lord, an affection for you. I love you. When Jesus asks if Simon has absolute uncommitted love for him, Peter answers with affection. In the third question, when, when Jesus says, Peter, Simon, do you love me? He switches to phileo. He might almost say, Peter, are you my friend? And Peter's response is, Lord, you know, I love you. Phileo. Also notice, um, there, there's that interesting question. Simon, do you love me more than these? Once again, this is where this is how you fill up pages in a commentary so you can sell it. There's all kinds of ways more than these. What does that refer to? Some think he points to the fishing equipment. Do you love me more than these? You know, the, the, the net and, and all the, or, or maybe the fish. Do you love me more than these? Some say that's what he was talking about. Others say he's asking if Peter loves him more than he loves these. So, so maybe he wasn't pointing at the net and, and all that stuff. Maybe he's pointing to the other disciples. Do you love me more than you love these guys? That'd be easy. Yeah, of course I do. But I think the best understanding is, do you love me more than these love me? And some of you are thinking, that's rude. (laughs) But remember what Peter said just weeks before, after the Seder? Luke 22, 33. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and to death. In Mark 14, 29, Mark 14, 29, Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, I yet I will not be. Peter had stood with confidence. These guys may leave you, I won't. I will go with you to the, to the jail. I will go with you to death. Hours later, I don't even know him. And so Peter's, so, so I think the Lord's taking it back. You said you would be faithful when they weren't. Do you love me more than they do? I think he's reminding them of that threefold denial. And when he so proudly said, I'm going to stand with you, Jesus, no matter what, he fell the hardest. He'd been counting his own strength and ability. And so with the charcoal smoke still in his eyes, throat, 
Peter can't even speak the word agape, committed love. I've failed you too bitterly. My boasts of standing with you when all else left you, can I really claim to committedly love you? But I do love you. All my heart, I have an affection for you. And, and, I, and I notice it says, and, the, and Peter says, Lord, you know. You know my heart. That's a faith statement. God alone knows the heart. And what is he saying to Jesus? You know what's in my heart. And though I cannot claim to love you with a committed love because I've failed you, you know I love you with my heart. You know, God knows our heart and minds. And, Jesus, and Peter knows that Jesus is the all-knowing God. Well, with each question and each humble reply, and I think, again, the Lord is kindly, but he is purposely bringing Peter back to that night of betrayal, that night of cowardice, and bringing it to his mind there in the smoke of the second charcoal fire. Because he's making a point. He failed. Sinned. Three times. Am I done with you? Three times he commissions him. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. When he's speaking of the lambs and sheep, the lambs, the little ones, the sheep, the, are the, the full-grown... He's saying, care for my people. When he says, uh, feed them, that's the idea of give, give them God's word. Feed them with spiritual truth. Shepherd them. That has the idea of leading and guiding and guarding. But right here we see the Lord is recommissioning Peter. You failed, and you failed miserably. We can't deny that. We can't hide that. We're putting it out in the open. And so the three times, but he's, and I think he's doing more than just doing this for Peter's sake. For all the disciples around him, is the Lord finished with Peter? They're watching the Lord restore Peter, recommission Peter, direct Peter. He's commissioning him to be a shepherd of his people. As painful and humbling as the Lord has been to Peter, he has been publicly in the sight of other disciples. He has restored Peter publicly to ministry. The three denials have been replaced with three humble, honest affirmations of love to Jesus Christ. And so, to all who are present, Let's be clear, he's saying, Peter failed, Peter's restored, Peter's forgiven. The fishing reminded Peter that it's in obeying Jesus and trusting him that the Lord provides and blesses ministry. Those, that, that net full, how did that happen? They did what the Lord told them to do. And so once again, he's reminded, Peter... I sent you to be fishers of men. Um, just as you can't fish successfully without my blessing, you 
can't successfully fish for men without my blessing and enabling. And so there have been lessons as, as he's preparing him. These last two verses then speak volumes. He says to him, most assuredly I say to you, speaking to Peter, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. When you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he'd spoken this, he said to him, follow me. John's writing this towards the end of the first century. Peter died between 64 and 68 A.D. So by now Peter has died. And he was crucified by the Romans. In fact, the tradition has it when they were preparing to crucify him, he said, you know, and that was the, that was the execution of shame and brutality. But Peter said to his executioners, no, crucify me like Jesus was crucified? That's too great an honor. If you must crucify me, then do me upside down. I can't die in the same way my Savior did. And apparently they did that. He's been restored to ministry, teaching and guiding God's people, caring for them. Where will that take him? He's had a happy and free life on the Sea of Galilee in his youth. That's going to fade into memory. He will end his life as a prisoner, his hands stretched out in the execution of a cross. And so the Lord's saying, Welcome back, Peter. Welcome back to ministry, Peter. It won't be easy. You'll pay with your life the last full measure of devotion. And Jesus closes with a call how it all began follow me. John records for us such a personal encounter for one thing that just shows you this Jesus is risen. It's not a hallucination. It's not an idea. It's a person. It's a person who can invite you to breakfast. He is risen. And in his ministry to Peter, he's showing us something. He calls the weak and the humble to serve him. Peter failed big. The Lord restores him and says, follow me. And he, and he, and he gives him responsibility guide and care for my people. Our loving Savior is a God of mercy, grace, and forgiveness. Peter had bitterly failed the Lord. And again, I see as they gathered around the rest of them for warmth at that fire, I, I, I could just see Peter stepping back and saying, I've been by one too many fires already. Ashamed to go close to the Lord, ashamed to, to be in his presence. And the Lord reaches out in mercy and forgiveness. He doesn't deny the failing, but he forgives the failing and he restores him. We see his great love for Peter. And it may be that some of you today need to hear those words as well. 
in their bitterness of failure and sin, we serve a God of mercy and grace and forgiveness. And so to you, as we gather on a Sunday morning, I can't quite hear the the lapping of the Sea of Galilee on the sand, but hear the Lord as a God of mercy and grace and forgiveness and restoration. Oh, but you don't know how I have. Tell that to Peter. Tell that to Peter. A God of mercy and grace. You aren't restored by denial. You cannot fool the Lord. You're restored by humble, honest confession and loving submission to the loving master. That's exactly where Peter is. Lord, you know my heart. You know my heart. Here I am. And the Lord's response is, I know your heart. I see your humble repentance. Follow me. Follow me. Those are words we all need to hear. And this Easter day, as we celebrate the resurrected Christ, hear his call, follow me. For some of you, that may be the call to follow him as Peter did at first. When he recognized, here is God's Savior, promised of old, coming now in fulfillment. You may have never taken that first step of coming to follow Jesus Christ as your Savior recognizing you are a sinner in need of forgiveness. And to you, if you have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, my call to you is follow him. Trust in him as Savior. Receive the gift of life and forgiveness. Follow him. For those of us who have followed him, but in honesty would have to say, we've stumbled, we've grown weary, we've been distracted, like Peter, fearful of others, drawn to the crowd. Stop where you are and follow him. Follow him. He warmly welcomes you back. It's been said a number of times, the Lord never tires of our new beginnings. It's spring. Life is, is, is abounding everywhere. What a great day to renew your following him. Notice, following Christ, <laughs> some are going to be preaching today, you follow Christ and you'll get that caddy you've been looking for. No. Uh, he doesn't promise prosperity and ease and comfort. Follow me. Follow me. And in Peter's case, it led to a cross. For each and every one of us, it may be a very different path. But, we, but with the Lord, it makes all the difference. May God give us the grace and the confidence to follow him wherever that path may lead. Father, we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the example of Peter And Lord, I do pray, if any here have yet to come to know Christ as Savior, help them to follow you in faith. Father, for those who are humbled, Lord, may they know your forgiveness in life. In Jesus' name we pray.